Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's national feminist current affairs programs produced by women and gender diverse broadcasters at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on unceded Kulin lands and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Senya. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you are hearing us from. On today's show, we chat with Zena Cumston, a Barkindji woman who has curated the exhibition Emu Sky, currently being shown at Melbourne University. The exhibition brings together numerous Aboriginal artists and knowledge keepers to explore Aboriginal perspectives related to science, innovation, plant use, land management and agricultural practices. Let's hear from Zena. So my name is Zena Cumston. I'm a Barkindji woman. I also have um, Afghan, Irish and English heritage. I live here in um, Melbourne, Nam, on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people. And I have been working at the University of Melbourne for the last four years, looking into an area that I guess um, is quite wide in its title in that I've been doing research around indigenous perspectives of biodiversity in urban areas. Um, I, I guess, narrowed that research down and started really looking into plants and how they connect us to country. And also um, trying to illuminate the incredible stories that plants tell about our scientific knowledge as um, Aboriginal peoples right across Australia. Great, thank you so much. So just before we get into the exhibition, so I was introduced um, to your work recently through um, the Arts Gen Not program. And, you know, you in the sessions that we did together, so you held several workshops with us, um, and then we also shared some food together over dinner. You know, you brought up this idea of food sovereignty. Could you tell us a little bit more of how that, what that looks like in the context of, say, living here in Nam? Food sovereignty is something that I haven't sort of formally studied or been a part of any kind of, I guess, <clears throat> groups that are working towards that outcome, but it's something that I'm really passionate about and I'm learning more and more about um, over time, just through my own reading and engaging with different resources. And it's been, I guess, um, something that's an obvious segue in that I've been really, really interested in plants and researching plants. And that kind of led me to start thinking about, you know, why don't we have these incredibly nutritional um, foods that are wonderful for country in terms of being the exact foods that we should be eating um, because they don't use much water and they don't like fertilizers and they also don't require lots of petrochemicals like other farming sort of systems yeah so it's just something i've thought about but i guess food sovereignty to me um, is is questioning and looking at why we in australia today don't have really very many things as part of our everyday and the foods that we eat every day that attest the incredibly um, rich and deep scientific knowledge of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and the ways that we've used plants and been able to generate abundance on country for the longest time imaginable. Um, so yeah, food sovereignty to me is really asking those questions and 
and looking at ways in which we can empower Indigenous knowledge systems in our everyday that also really work to nurture country. And I see, you know, reinvigorating our food practices as a way that, you know, is perfectly aligned with some of the things we need to do in terms of caring for country in the future and not taking so much from her all the time with systems and, um, you know, crops that really require too much effort to grow in this environment because they're from so far away and they're not meant for here. Thank you for that. Yes, and I feel like that ties so well with, um, you know, your curation for Emu Sky. Um, so can you, yeah, so you recently curated the exhibition Emu Sky, currently being shown at Melbourne University at the Old Quad building. Um, can you tell us a bit about, you know, firstly the name of the exhibition and what sparked that idea? The exhibition really, I guess, is a culmination of um, the last four or five years of the research that I've been doing. But more than that, it's not about what I have to say or bringing my work together. It just has been a really powerful platform to bring lots of Aboriginal artists in from many different areas across Southeast Eastern Australia to tell stories that they want to tell right now about their relationship to country things that they're worried about, and also just really to um, exemplify our knowledge systems through the work that they're presenting. Um, so the, the title for the show, Emu Sky, came from one of my favourite artworks of all time. It's called Emu Sky. Um, it's by Uncle Badger Bates, who's a Barkindji elder. Um, so he's from my country and someone that um, I really look up to and has been um, really generous with me for a long time um, in terms of sharing knowledge and culture um, with me um, when I go back home to country. And this is a lino cut um, and it's called Emu Sky because like lots of Uncle Badger's work, it's talking about knowledge of country and his love of country. And that lino cut depicts um, the emu in the sky, which is um, in non-Indigenous science, it's called the Colsac Nebula. So it's kind of a big black hole in the sky um, in terms of non-Indigenous science. But for, for our ways of knowing country, the maps that we follow in the sky to tell us what to do on country at the right time, um, it's a really, really important story and a repository of knowledge. And I guess I look at that line I cut all the time because I've had it in my house for about 10 years. And it is something I think I almost meditate on. I'm always staring at it. It's really, really beautiful. And I, um, I've i come to know it more deeply over time through the more that I've learned about my own culture and the knowledge on my country. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm an amazing knowledge holder. I absolutely am at the very start of my journey of learning about my own country because I didn't grow up on country. So it's been, you know, the last well, my whole life of just visiting and trying to learn as much as I possibly can to honour my ancestors and old people. But I've looked at that um, lino cart and as I've really struggled with the way that non-Indigenous science perceives our people's science, it came to sort of be a really wonderful allegory for me in that I could see that um, non-Indigenous science might look at the sky and not see that wealth of knowledge that's held there in something like that Colsac Nebula. And we have stories about all sorts of different things in the sky, not just the stars, the blank plates, the so-called blank spaces as well. And the movements that happen over time tell us different things in terms of what we should be doing in our interactions with country to keep everything safe, sustainable and abundant. 
And so I thought about that emu in the sky and the way non-Indigenous science might see that just as kind of a nothingness and how opposite that is in terms of the many, many mobs and diverse mobs across Australia who have different stories associated with that particular happening in the sky. And so it's a lovely allegory for the way non-Indigenous science sees our science in that sometimes it looks really hard and it can't see anything. But what is actually there is very, very rich, complex, multi-layered, handed down for the longest time imaginable to keep everyone safe on country. So I really wanted the show um, to be an opportunity for people to listen and to learn from Aboriginal knowledge holders and for them to start thinking about the architecture of their perception, the things that they know and see through what they have learnt and how much we're all missing out on when we don't learn about Aboriginal people and culture and especially when we don't respect Indigenous science scientific practice because we have so many challenges coming our way in terms of the environment and I really see from the work that I've been doing um, as part of science faculty at the University of Melbourne that we are not doing everything that we can to arm ourselves because we're not using all the tools at our disposal because we're not empowering Indigenous ways of knowing and Indigenous communities to, um, to incorporate our ways of knowing into the mainstream because when those two things can come together it's really powerful and a lot of scientists have managed to do it really successfully through incredible collaborations but I see that it is not happening enough and too many people are still quite ignorant about what's available what's part of our incredibly rich cultures right across um, Australia and how much we all stand to benefit from empowering Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities to manage country in a way that makes sense for us culturally. You know, something I observed when I was at the exhibition was the emu sky and seeing the, I guess, pointing to those dark spaces that we don't look at, like how science often just looks at like what is bright and what is the stars, like what is there, but yes. not looking at the spaces in between. Yes. Um, and then I also, you know, looking at the grinding stones that were scaled up in size to kind of point at the underrepresentation of these stories of like Aboriginal agricultural or farming technologies that have existed that are part of the practices. Um, mm. So I'm really curious to hear like where do you think we are at as a society in understanding native foods and yeah I know you've already kind of pointed to what kind of narratives exist around in this country regarding science but I guess um, yeah could you speak to it more broadly like how science um, yeah might be impacting uh, the way that we think as a society in this country? Yeah that's an interesting question Zen because it's something I've thought about a lot but I'm not very good at articulating because it's still kind of I guess scrambled in my head because I'm so overwhelmed by it. Um, but I do definitely see that, you know, we have some really big problems in our country, which, you know, Blind Freddie could see that we've got problems when we look at health outcomes and um, deaths in custody. And there's just, there's a litany of, of outcomes that make it really obvious that things are not okay in Australia today for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in seeking justice and even just basic safety. Um, and I think there's been really problematic narratives that science has 
unfortunately been very much um, part of creating over time. So um, I guess, you know, it, it helps to unpack where we've come from in terms of scientific thinking and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and culture. Um, and obviously I'm not going to do that in this radio interview because it's kind of a really um, complex story, but it's really been um, a story over time where we have been seen as lesser, um, even to the point where we've been seen as non-human, unfortunately. And um, that's, you know, the many massacres that have happened over time um, attest that way of seeing us. Um, but also there's an important thing to note in that these problems of the past very much carry through to today. And just as colonisation is not something in the past and is a structure that we are still dealing with in our everyday today, we have to remember that the way that science has interacted with us as peoples and as cultures has been extremely problematic and there is residue, very thick, um, easy to see if you know how to look residue in how science interacts with Indigenous peoples and culture and knowledges today also. And whilst it's getting better um, and, you know, now we as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are welcome in universities, there are still major, major problems with um, cultural safety and most especially with our intellectual and cultural property rights. You can really see this um, playing out in the bush foods industry which um, some estimates say are worth is worth more than $88 million in this country at this time. I would say it's probably a lot more than that, and that's not even including the macadamia industry, which is in its own right massive. Um, only 1% of the profits and benefit um, from that really burgeoning industry is going back to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. And I see this type of thing playing out in lots of different fora, including um, the way in which our knowledge is perceived in mainstream academia and institutions, and not just in science in lots of different areas. But there's, I feel, an overriding um, problem in that a lot of the way that we are interacted with is still extremely extractive. It's about what people can take and use and you even see it in the language that's used all the time. Um, it's not about empowering our communities to lead, to have self-determination and to share our knowledge in our way, in a way that actually really meaningfully empowers our communities. It's more about this idea of what can be taken. And I'm not saying that's across the board. There are many wonderful, like I said before, um, collaborations happening where people are on equal footing and are working in a way that's very deeply reciprocal um, with Aboriginal communities. But there's still this underlying problem, um, I think, in that a lot of science, for example, thinks that it's completely impartial um, and that it's really superior to um, our knowledge systems and our science. And so there's this idea that you can just sprinkle bits of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander knowledge on top to bolster what's already, you know, the best way of doing things. And that really isn't the case. We've seen in the way things are playing out with our environment and what's happening on country right across Australia, we have catastrophic problems 
And I would say that most of them are the result of extractive practices of interactions with country. And it's not just our actual scientific knowledge that needs to be empowered and applied. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are incredibly diverse, but we have, you know, some overarching aspects of our culture that I think could go a really long way in helping our entire society to make strong country and strong people. And, you know, one of those overriding things is that we see country as kin. We have an inherent responsibility to look after her and for that to be a reciprocal and loving relationship. And unfortunately, in our capitalist society, that is not part of how people are taught from a young age to interact with country. We are taught that we have dominion over it, that it is something just there for our manipulation. And we've seen how that plays out. We can't be healthy as a society, as people, black or white, if country is not healthy. And we need to completely reconfigure the way that we look at her, the way that we interact with her and empowering and indigenizing management of country is for me a really obvious way forward for all of us to start to care for her in a way where she can care for us. On community radio around Australia, you were listening to Women on the Line. You were just listening to Zena Cumston, a Barkindji woman who has curated the exhibition Emu Sky, currently being shown at the Old Quad building at Melbourne University. Let's continue to hear from Zena. One part of the exhibition that was really captivating for me was seeing the food spread of native foods and farming and cooking technologies um, on that table, that medieval looking table. Um, yeah, and I felt like it was a conversation, like a conversation you have at a dinner table of from seed to harvest to, yeah, how you make um, the seeds like edible and the foods edible um, with the grinding stones and the baskets and so yeah that was really um striking for me to see it all together because in the past i've seen maybe like um, a basket at the melbourne museum but on its own never with like seeds around it so that's what i really loved about um seeing this spread um could you talk more about yeah that kind of curation of um putting that together yeah um um, i love that you said it was like a conversation zen because i think that's that's what um the artist who put it all together, Jonathan Jones, who's mm-hmm. an amazing Radrika Milleroy artist and one of my favourite artists, so to have him in the show has been such an honour. Um, so Jonathan put that together with lots of different artists and so it really is a conversation and I've looked at it a lot because I give a lot of tours to students and others who come to the show and I could actually do an hour tour that I think people would enjoy that's just around that table because there are so many stories radiating out from the beautiful pieces that all of the many artists who are involved, more than 10, um, have been wanting to tell through the work that they've contributed to that. And it makes a big difference as well, having it in a really, really um, hideously colonial setting. There's this Mm -hmm. sort of table and chairs that um, are so um, stuffy and non-functional and just really, um, just really, really, really colonial. You walk into that Mm -hmm. room when that artwork's not in there and it sort of almost feels like it's taking your breath away. It's so sterile and stiff. And so to be able to make this intervention there on the table that is just like a a wild cacophony of beautiful stories and knowledge 
um, intertwined and to have so many artists' voices there um, in a space that really erased so much before has been really great and I love that juxtaposition and I can't take credit for any of that because Jonathan walked into that room and said this is so ugly we have to use it um and so I think he saw right from the start that he just really wanted to indigenize that space and to mm. tell um a really beautiful story with lots of mob lots of community members about our knowledge of country and the old old knowledge that we have that's so much older than the oldest part of melbourne university old quad by about 60 something forever um so yeah it's it's a lovely juxtaposition and i think whilst all the works in the show are incredibly beautiful it's one that's really probably promoted the most conversation i think the language posters um with the plants have also been one that people have really wanted to to talk about and unpack but all the works in the show have had an incredible response and they were made with so much love and care um every aboriginal person who contributed to the show gave more than what they were asked because i guess when you ask people to talk about country they get really really passionate um and yeah i feel so honored to have the caliber of caliber of artists that we have in the show but also so many people like you zen who've come along and you know found lots of things to think about and talk about that means a lot to me and i'm really glad that we've opened up some conversations because that's what the show's for yes i definitely feel that i when i went to grab a poster um the person looking after the exhibition said oh the poster that says, why don't you know me was like all gone. I think everyone had taken that one in particular, which was really interesting. I was like, oh, there's no more of, of that poster. Like, why don't you know me? Um, which is a great question. It's a question that kind of sparks something in people. Yeah. Like, why don't we know what plants are perfect for this place and are all around here? And they're Wurundjeri Woiwurrung names when we're on Wurundjeri country. Um, so yeah, we got 2000 printed. So anyone who comes to the show, till the end of the show august 21 um they're the posters that are there the why don't you know me ones for people to take and hopefully continue conversations at home another project i did i gave people river mint which is a really mm. beautiful plant and means a lot to me the more that i learn about it um and i gave people a sheet that had lots of different uses for river mint um, medicinally and nutritionally but also on the on the back side of it taught people how to propagate that plant if they wanted to share it with their friends or teach other people how to make more river mint so yeah I would have loved to have had live plants as part of this show but um the posters were the option I was kind of given and I'm really glad that people have something to take home because I hope in years to come people might go to someone's house and see that poster and talk about the show because I really hate resources being wasted and that's why we made a website for Emu Sky as well and that'll stay up a long time after the show's gone down because I see so many shows so rich in conversations and knowledge and especially when Aboriginal artists share that deep knowledge that they have of their own country it really irks me that it's gone or it's behind a really expensive paywall in a you know like a really high-end sort of like hardcover book that a lot of galleries put out and I love those books don't get me wrong but when I was at uni I couldn't buy any of them and so I actually found it really hard to access mm. black writers that I wanted to be quoting um, and so that's why we made the Amy Sky website to make what would be normally a catalogue or a book completely accessible to everyone no matter where they are and we've got 
um, amazing essays by black writers and thinkers on the website and we're hoping to add more to that over time and they've been used a lot by different people at the uni and I've been thrilled I've been so happy I just read an essay that someone did for a book about Melbourne uni the other day um, about the history of the University of Melbourne and there were so many references to Emu Sky and to those black yarn essays that we've got in there that I just it made my heart sing I loved that those voices were getting into to those little nooks and crannies at Melbourne Uni that sometimes we don't get to slide into well thank you so much Sina this has been such a generous conversation and um, I have to say when I was at the exhibition there were plenty of people in there <laughs> um, looking at the exhibition yeah. Oh, I'm really glad to hear it. Yeah. And, and I wanted to think about, you know, students coming from overseas and mm. how much they really get to understand about Aboriginal people and culture and whose country they're on. Because too often in Australia, even in, you know, like mainstream Aussie culture, there's an idea that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are out there, not right yeah. here, out in the bush or far away. We all are incredibly diverse we all are diverse in our looks and our cultural practices and our belonging we're all so different but we are here and in the urban environment um it's something that i think people don't get exposed to enough because our culture's just kind of erased in the urban environment in too many contexts but more and more you know planners and other people are wanting to tell stories of country and help everyone understand that urban areas are always country too no matter how many times you go over a place with concrete or any other um you know violent interaction place it's still country it still holds the stories and the belonging of the people who've looked after it for the longest time imaginable and there's no place in Australia that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people don't have a connection and belonging to and mobs are working all around the place to continue their custodial obligations of looking out for country and caring for country and doing what they can even in urban areas that are you know obviously really fraught um mobs like Wurundjeri mob um, are working really hard to fulfill their custodial obligations and you can see that in lots of different ways but like the Willapkin Birrurung Murrun Act, um, the Yarra River Protection Act, there, there are more and more things creeping in where we all get to understand whose country we're on more and understand how to look after it properly. Thank you for listening to Women on the Line today. You've just heard from Zena Cumston speaking with us about Emu Sky, an exhibition she has curated exploring Aboriginal perspectives related to science, innovation, plant use, land management, and agricultural practices. Emu Sky is free to attend from now till Sunday, 21st of August, 2022, at the Old Quad Building at Melbourne University. Visit emusky.culturalcommons.edu.au for more information. Women on the Line is produced and presented by women and gender-diverse broadcasters at 3CR on unceded Kulin lands. Our show is broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network with financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. You can listen back on our past episodes from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. I'm Senya, and tune in to Women on the Line next week on your local community radio station.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.